Hello and welcome to this Speed Listen installment of the Six Gun Justice Podcast, featuring everything you need to know about the recent Western Writers of America conference, all in under 30 minutes, give or take. I'm Richard Prosh. My compadre, Paul Bishop, and I co-host the full-length episodes of the Six Gun Justice Podcast that usually ride solo for these Speed Listen bonus installments. Today, however, for what we're calling a Speed Listen Special Edition, Paul is going to join me for a discussion about the recent Western Writers of America conference, book hunting in Colorado, and his surprise stop at the Buffalo Bill Museum and Grave. Hey, welcome home, partner. So have you had time to bang the travel dust off your chaps? Barely, but I can't complain. It was a great trip. I know you went to the Western Writers of America conference once before. Yeah, 2019 in Tucson was my rookie year. But then 2020 was canceled due to the pandemic. Yeah, just about like everything else. But that made this year's WWA conference in Loveland, Colorado, all the sweeter. So it must have been great to be back in the conference setting again. It was. It was nice to see some old friends. There was also some younger faces at the conference this year. It was also pretty much maskless. That was a real joy. The staff of the hotel still had their masks on, but in general, nobody at the conference was wearing them. So you are a qualified member of the WWA, but you were there this year also in another capacity. Yeah, as you know, Rich, when I'm not busy being Sheriff Minushai, I'm the acquisitions editor for Wolfpack Publishing. So I was there with Wolfpack head honchos Mike Bray and Jake Bray, along with my counterpart, Lauren Bridges. My wife, Del, and Jake's wife, Nicole, were also along to keep us all on task. So were there a lot of Wolfpack authors there? There were, and that's what made this a lot of fun, because some of them I've only talked with over the telephone or by email or even on Zoom, but I'd never met them in person before. One of those was Wayne Tillman, whose Guns for Wells Fargo series is doing real well for Wolfpack, and he's also written standalones like Ghost Posse, which is one of my favorite westerns from last year. You were the first one to tell me about Ghost Posse. It's a really wonderful concept. I've got it here. I'm looking forward to reading it. It's a lot of fun, and I was really proud of the way Wayne pulled that off. So who else was out there? Larry and Cap Martin were there. Larry was one of the original founders of Wolfpack Publishing, but he is an extremely prolific Western writer in his own right, and his wife, Cap Martin, is a best-selling romantic suspense writer. It was really nice to be able to sit down with them and share a few laughs. Terrence McCauley was also there. He is the best-selling author of the Aaron Mackey series published by Pinnacle. He's also written a number of westerns in the Ralph Compton series, or the Ralph Compton brand as we're calling it, that have done really well. But now he's coming over to Wolfpack, and he's going to be bringing his backlist of espionage novels. He's going to be writing new books in that series. It was fun to sit down with him because Terrence and I go way back to our days writing the Fart Card series. Cool. Preston Lewis, who's the spur-winning author and prior president of WWA, he does the H.H. Lomax books, kind of humorous, satirical westerns. We sat together with his wife, Harriet, and talked about his upcoming August 9th appearance on the Wolfpack Publishing Book Club. And there was Carol Krigger, another spur-winning author who writes her China Bahannam westerns and other books like The Woman Who Built a Bridge and her current novel, Madeline's Daughter, for Wolfpack. Vicki Rose and Mickey Furman, who have both written tremendous short story collections for Wolfpack. Harlan Haig was also there. He wrote The Confederation of the People and is continuing to write standalone westerns for us. Mike Barron, who's one of Wolfpack's contemporary men's adventure writers, as well as making guest appearances under the A.W. Hart Western pseudonym, lived in the area, so he came down and had lunch with us. 
John Nesbitt, who I think you've interviewed for a Six Gun Justice conversation, right? Yes, sure have. He came over and introduced himself to me because he's done a couple of books for Wolfpack. And then the cool thing was Michael and Kathleen Gear, who have just joined Wolfpack, were there to receive the Owen Wister Award. Michael's new book, Dissolution, is going to be the focus of the Wolfpack Publishing Book Club in July. Great. And you've got a conversation with them coming up too, right? I do. That's exciting. I wasn't able to attend this year because Gina and I stayed home since my son Wyatt was receiving an award and we wanted to be here for that. But on that same subject of awards, the one thing I regret is that I wasn't able to attend the Spur Awards and see our friend Kevin Wolf get his Spur Award for Story Belt Hanger, published in our Western Fictioneers anthology. I want to offer our congratulations again to Kevin for doing the Western Fictioneers proud. I think when WWA recognizes something that was published by another organization, it speaks highly to the quality. It also speaks highly to the attitude that you find with Western Writers of America and Western Fictioneers. I've never been to a conference where the people have been more friendly. Sometimes when you go to a Mystery Writers Conference or Thriller Fest, there's a real pecking order that shows itself. That just doesn't happen here at the Western Writers of America Conference or in an organization like Western Fictioneers. Everybody's just folks and everybody gets along and that makes it really, really comfortable. I know you were also on the agents and editors panel, right? I was, and that was kind of interesting because the Western is really vibrant at the moment. I think it's making a big comeback. You can see it in the sales of the William Johnstone books. You can see it in the sales of the Ralph Compton brand books. And we can certainly see it in the sales of Wolfpack's Westerns. It's just incredible how vibrant this once thought dead, 10 times thought dead, 100 times thought dead genre keeps coming back and making new fans. That was what I really liked, too, about this conference, as I mentioned earlier. There were some new faces there who were under the age of 30, which was really cool. How did the pitch meetings go? The panel was set up where each of the agents or editors got to give their little blurb about what they do. I talked about the things that we look for for a Wolfpack Western author to bring on board. Then the following day, there were supposed to be sign-ups that you could have 15 minutes with whichever agent or editor of your choice. So I had a full list of 12 in the morning on the next day. I wasn't sure how those were all going to go, but I was pleasantly surprised in the fact that there's a possibility of three new author signings that came out of those pitch meetings. So it was very, very valuable. Also on that agents and editors panel was Stuart Rosenbrook from True West Magazine. He does a tremendous job getting that magazine out on a monthly basis. It was nice to be able to sit down and spend some time talking with him. We were discussing an upcoming issue on pulp Western art. It should be a lot of fun. Chris Entz, who's the current president of the Western Writers of America, I got to sit down with her. She has been doing some of the speed listens with me. We just did the one on Annie Oakley together, and we've got one coming up on Calamity Jane. And then as a surprise, Ron Fortier of Airship 27, he actually lives in the area. He found out I was at the conference and sent me a message and said, hey, can we get together? So I actually got to meet Ron, who I've known for years virtually. He came out to dinner with us and a good time was had by all. Sounds like a lot of fun. Yeah, you know, and they also have the Western Writers of America yearly auction. And I ended up with a brand new custom cowboy hat at the hey, auction. <laughs> now that's pretty cool. Well, I'm going to be styling from here on out. I can tell you that much. Very good. I expect to see some pictures. Absolutely. 
So did you get a chance then to get to any used bookstores while you were there? I did. It was refreshing because here in Southern California, there's not a lot of used bookstores anymore. And those that are here are really just carrying the best-selling beach books and doorstop thrillers that are popular. I get that, but it doesn't really leave much for collectors or somebody who's looking for something different. So when we left Loveland, Colorado, which was where the conference was held, my wife and I decided we were going to go to Steamboat Springs for a few days of downtime. On the way there, we passed through Longmont and Boulder and stopped in both places at bookstores. And oh my goodness, I could not believe the shelves full of westerns. There were series books there that I hadn't seen in the wild in a decade, and I was like in hog heaven. I didn't know how I was going to get all these books <laughs> I wanted to buy home, but we did manage to do that. I won't tell them about the picture of the U-Haul trailer you sent to me. <laughs> no, that's a big secret. It's still on its way here. <laughs> One of the cool things is I knew that there was a series put out by Leisure, I don't know, 20 years ago called their Golden West series. And Leisure, who was kind of a low-end publisher, they were always looking to pick up stuff that was in the public domain. They produced seven books, one on Custer, another on John Wesley Harden. Then there was Jesse James, Billy the Kid, Wild Bill Hickok, Buffalo Bill, and Kit Carson. All of these books they put out were in the public domain, so it made a big profit for them. What I loved about them was the covers, and I only had one of them. And I found all six of the others in one of the bookstores we went to. I also filled in some other series holes. I picked up several books in the Daniel Boone series. Daniel, D-A-N apostrophe L. <laughs> right. It's very, very trendy. And this is a series by Dodge Tyler is the name on the front, but it's actually a pseudonym for John Edward Ames. And there's the Wild Bill Hickok series put out under the name Judd Cole, which was another pseudonym for John Edward Ames. Kit Carson had a series by Doug Hawkins, which was actually Douglas Hurt. All these guys are working under pseudonyms. And a Davy Crockett series by David Thompson, who's actually David Robbins. These are all series that were out of the 70s, and I was able to fill in a whole bunch of holes in my collection. But the biggest deal for me is, as you know, I've been talking about Will Henry a lot, who I've just discovered, and I got a whole double fistful of Will Henry and Clay Fisher Westerns, Clay Fisher being the other pseudonym for William Allen, who wrote under Will Henry and Clay Fisher. I was so excited to get those into my possession, and I have a big upcoming speed listen on Will Henry in a couple of weeks. Great. Well, heck, the bookstore right there sounds like it was worth the, the gas money you spent to drive through. Yeah, it was a lot of fun. and I don't know, maybe it was Colorado. Maybe there's just more Western readers there or whatever than there are in Southern California. It would make sense. But I have not seen shelves and shelves of Westerns in a used bookstore like that before. And they were all well organized. They were clean. They were in good condition. I mean, it was just a joy. I don't know what it is about Longmont. I have no idea whether it's the same store or whether it's connected at all. But I went to a bookstore in Longmont about 25 years ago that was packed like that, just packed full of great stuff. And I remember buying a whole slew of different things. So Longmont's a good town for books, I guess. Wherever I go, my wife is very considerate and lets me go to the used bookstores in the area. But very rarely do I come across golden hordes like this. So it makes my little heart go pit-a-pat. <laughs> <laughs> But it wasn't all just socializing and paperbacks. Sheriff Minutia became Sheriff Historian, too, right? Like when you traveled to Death Valley, you came upon another great idea for a Six-Gun Justice podcast episode, just kind of out of the blue, right? 
I did. We had no idea. We're driving up I-70, and my wife goes, Oh, look at that sign over there. It says, Buffalo Bill Museum and Grave, next exit. Well, I was in the fast lane and cut immediately across <laughs> three lanes of traffic <laughs> and, and pulled off, and we kind of followed our noses, thinking that this was going to be a real, you know, kitschy kind of low-end museum. We drove about five or six miles to get to it and kept thinking, ah, let's just turn around and go back. Nah, let's go a little bit further. And we got there, and it was amazing. The museum is packed with stuff from Buffalo Bill's Wild West show. There's a terrific film on Buffalo Bill, his beginnings, and all the history of the Wild West show that Buffalo Bill had with Annie Oakley and Sitting Bull and so many others. It was fascinating. So we spent quite a bit of time there. We went up and paid our respects to Buffalo Bill's grave. The grave itself is controversial because Buffalo Bill had wanted and said in his will that he wanted to be buried right there in Colorado. And there were several other places that wanted to claim him as theirs. In fact, they had to actually bring a tank up to where the grave was to protect it from being robbed and the body taken elsewhere. That was how popular Buffalo Bill was. There were 20,000 people there at his funeral. Wow. Eventually, they just poured tons and tons of concrete on top of the casket to make sure nobody could get to it. Kind of the Elvis of the time. People would make pilgrimages, maybe, to Buffalo Bill's grave. Exactly. They've got pictures of Calamity Jane there to pay her respects, as you say. So people came from all over to see where Buffalo Bill was buried. Me too, I guess. That wasn't my intention, but it was a fun thing to do. We spent money in the Buffalo Bill gift shop and all those kinds of things, and it was a lot of fun. So those unexpected pieces of your journey really make them memorable. You know, I know there's the Hollywood tour, right, where you can go around and see the observatory and you, you can reenact scenes from movies and say, oh, this movie was filmed here or this movie was filmed there or there, here's an iconic piece of scenery from some movie. But the West is like that, except it's more spread out. And, you know, so you could just all of a sudden, as you did, come upon a place where here's Buffalo Bill's body and here's where Calamity Jane stood and I'm standing in that same spot right now. And sometimes it's surprising. It just comes upon you. That's That's really cool. It is. And then you see odd things like a sign I never thought I would see that says, stay off the buffalo. <laughs> I mean, I didn't know you need to be warned about that, but apparently you do. Um, <laughs> Did you see any buffalo? It, no, no. This was actually a sign in front of a brass buffalo that was part of the display, <laughs> but I just found it amusing. Yeah. Like you said, with Death Valley, I had no intention of doing an episode of Death Valley. It had never occurred to me. But when I actually went there and saw so much of the Western history that was tied to Death Valley, it seemed like a great idea to do an episode on. And with Buffalo Bill, I guess he's never really been in the forefront of my mind as one of my Western heroes. But having gone to the museum and having seen his grave, it's much more real to me now. I feel more aware of him as a real person than what he did and what he stood for. It seemed just like a great focus for an episode, so I'm really looking forward to doing that. Ironically enough, I just today got back from the post office before our recording here, and I got your postcard. So I'm excited. I think that'll be a great topic. That was kind of a cool postcard, wasn't it? You know, a lightly tinny or whatever it was. It's kind of neat. I saw that and went, oh, okay, I'm going to send this to Rich. I sent yeah. him a postcard from Death Valley telling him we're going to do a Death Valley episode, <laughs> so why not from Buffalo Bill's Museum and Grave? That's right. Now when I go to the post office box, I never know what I'll find for our next episode. 
<laughs> well, I'll try to keep it up. Yeah, great. So it sounds as if you had an absolute blast on this trip. I hope to be able to attend next year when the WWA conference will be in Great Falls, Montana. I think we should invite all of our listeners to come out because you don't have to be a writer or some kind of professional to come. You can just be a fan and enjoy meeting people and listening to the panels and stuff like that. And hanging out. You don't even have to be a member of the Western Writers of America. You can still come to the conference and hang out with us. And I think everybody would really enjoy it. The more the merrier. Absolutely. And I hope you do get to Great Falls because your upcoming new Western series, Hellbenders, will be published by then. And it'll be a great opportunity for us to promote it. And I'm looking forward to that. It's a great series, Rich. I've read the first two books and I'm really excited about it. Hey, thanks. I'm looking forward to it, too. Thanks for listening to this bonus speed listen installment of the Six Gun Justice podcast. Remember to check out our website at sixgunjustice.com for regularly updated reviews, articles, and interviews from the best of the Western wordslingers. Prior Six Gun Justice podcast episodes, Six Gun Justice speed listen installments, and Six Gun Justice conversations are available on all major podcast streaming platforms. Till next time, be kind to yourself, be kind to others, and keep reading the westerns. Adios, I'm out of here. Let's ride.